Good morning. How is everybody? Doing wonderful. Thank you very much. My air conditioner broke yesterday. Had this wonderful young man come and deliver terrible news to me. But it's a good day anyway, because this is a day the Lord's made. Amen? We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Thanks for being here today. And if you're home online or wherever you're watching this from, we're glad that you're here too. Um, I want to get right into the, the Word of God, if you'll allow me to. We're starting a new series today um, called When God Moves. So for this month, we'll be working off of that um, broad and general theme. Um, I think you know this. We serve an animated God. You know, sometimes we, we want to put God like in this place and he's just there and, and like statuary. And that's not God. If that's your God, you got the wrong God. If that's what you think of God, then you think improperly about him. He's, he's very much animated. Our God acts. Our God moves. He talks. He speaks. He, he, he has a will. And, and he's able to um, conduct and express that will in, in so many different ways. Um, it, it, the reality is that, that there's really no life. If God doesn't move, life doesn't happen. Do you understand that? If God doesn't move, life doesn't happen. Think about it. Okay, here's some major creation. If God doesn't move, there's nothing. You're not here. I'm not here. There's nothing if God doesn't move. So we have creation, incarnation. If God doesn't move, you're still lost in sin. Right? Come on, you can talk to me. It's all right. If God doesn't move. Pentecost. If God doesn't move, you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this life and able to stand and live and, and excel and thrive in this life if God doesn't move. There's coming another moment. Yet in history, if God doesn't move, it won't happen. It's called the second coming. Aren't you glad about the second coming? I'd be happy if it came today. There's nothing else I want to do. And there's nothing else I care to accomplish. I'd be happy if it, if it, if it happened today. But if God doesn't move, and then all the space between those mile markers, if God doesn't move, the space doesn't work. You, you know, take your Bible, flop it open, point to any page in it. God's moving. In some way, God's moving. Even in Leviticus, you have to look a little harder maybe at times, but, but, but God is, we have a God who moves, and if he doesn't move, life doesn't happen. In fact, if he doesn't move, life falls apart. The Bible says he holds all things together by the word of his power. God moves. Tell somebody sitting around you, God moves. God moves. So that's what we're going to look at in this series. If God moves, then what does that really mean? What's that look like? And, and how, does it, how does it happen? And, and we're not going to answer that in, in four sessions. We're not going to answer all the questions we have about how God moves. We are finite people trying to, to comprehend and grasp and walk in a relationship with an infinite God. So I'll just tell you up front, I'm not going to satisfy all your questions or have time or opportunity to even answer your questions um, on this matter, because we're talking about the movements of God, and we don't fully understand the full expression and, and, and breadth of, of that reality. But God moves. 
That's the focus of today that I want, I want to look at. God moves, all right? He, he moves, and he's still moving today. And, he's st- and the better news, he's still moving in your life. God is moving in your life. Whether you feel it or not isn't the issue. The question is, number one, do you believe it? Do you believe that you serve a God who moves, who wants to be active in you, through you, with you? God moves, and he moves in your life. And our job is to move with him. Our job is to follow. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts 12. That's going to be our text for today. Um, we're going to work through a, a whole, almost a whole chapter by faith. And, and, you know, for me, that's really a step of faith. We're going to look at a, it's a pretty well-known account. It's this, the story of, of Peter um, moving from imprisonment to freedom. Peter's arrested, and, and they plan to kill him. But the, the Lord moves. God moves into his situation and circumstance. And we're going to just try and glean some, some important information, some encouragement from this passage of Scripture today. First, let's pray. Father, open your word to us. Open your heart to us. Open our hearts and our minds to receive from you and let the seed of your word um, bring a fruit, bring a harvest. Let, let it transform us a little bit more into your image. L- Lord, I pray today that especially if there's any of those who, who question or have been wondering, are, are, you, are you there? Are you present? Are, are you doing anything in the world? Are you doing anything in their personal lives? God, today, touch them. Today, encourage their heart. Today, it's through your word. Speak something that enlivens them. So bless your word now. Holy Spirit, govern over this time. The, the preaching of your word and the hearing of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Three points. Um, seems to be a habit. Three points. N- number one, talking about when God moves, okay? Number one, very important you understand. Very theological reality. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. Anyone figure that out yet? Sometimes God doesn't make sense. Let's start with our text. Acts 12, the first four verses. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Get this. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. That means he beheaded him. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So it was Passover time, time of celebration. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. That means to kill him. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. If you were in the church that day, during that time, you would say this was a bad day. It's supposed to be a time of celebration. And amongst all the celebration, now this terrible thing happens. They take James and they kill him. First apostle martyred. It's interesting, James and John, the brothers. James was the first martyr. John was the last martyr. I don't know if that means anything. It's just a a little curiosity and a little interesting factoid, I guess, of Scripture. The Roman governor, Herod, had one job, and his job was to keep the peace. His job, if he wanted to keep his job, was to make sure that Rome never heard reports that his area, the district that he's responsible for, was having any kind of turmoil or in in any way not 
under the full governance of, of Rome and authority of Rome, and that was reflected by that there was peace in the land. And here's this, at this time, this little Jewish sect of people that are not so small anymore, and they're growing every day, it seems. And they're making a lot of noise. And they're making the established Jewish community who, who sort of knew how to manipulate and walk with and get along with the Roman government it's making them real happy, un unhappy. And, and so there's this stress and strife, and it's making um, Herod a little anxious, e maybe even for his own position and his own authority, perhaps is in jeopardy, because this church keeps gaining momentum. No matter what they do, they keep gaining, gaining momentum. Um, they, they're, and they're creating all this social and, and religious upheaval. And, and the Bible says that in the early church, you know, God's adding to them. Every day they're getting bigger. Every day there's, there's these unfolding, unbelievable stories of miracles and signs and wonders happening. Every day this community is growing. And the Bible says that they had all things in common. This little, it doesn't mean that they were perfect. It doesn't mean they even always got along together. We know that's not the case. But over it all, they were part of this new thing that never existed before, and the world didn't know what to do with them. They never saw anything like this before. This community that, that, of people from all different walks of life, they were crossing social bounds, they were crossing racial bounds, they were crossing ethnical bounds, they were crossing religious bounds, and they're making it work and, and making a lot of noise. So he arrested James, and he killed him. And it says that he gained approval. His approval rating went up. You know, we, we run a lot of things in this country based on approval rating. And his approval rating skyrocketed when he did that because it, it made the Jewish people happy. And so he said, hey, I'm going to ride this wave a little bit. So what does he do? He goes out and he arrests Peter. And he's, gonna, he's not going to anger the Jews by doing anything during Passover. So he's going to wait till it's over. And as soon as it's over, he's going to kill Peter too and hopefully get a little more applause and gain a little more um, popularity amongst the Jews and, and sort of protect his, his reputation. So this is all unfolding. And we find that he assigns to Peter four squads, four um, groups of four soldiers who will guard him 24-7. Okay, so there's a, a, a team of four guards and there's four teams. So they're just punching in and punching out, taking their shift. And now, now remember, they arrested Peter, and Peter's just this, this little preacher guy. He's just this fisherman. And, and they take four guards, four teams of four guards, and two of them he's chained to, and one is a little bit outside at a guard station, one's a little beyond that at a guard station, and then there's an iron gate that's locked. That seems like overkill. They put Peter in maximum security. And he's just this little, he's just this little nobody. And they're, but, but see, Herod was embarrassed by these guys once already. If you go back to Acts, um, the fifth chapter, you find there was a time when, when these guys are causing a little trouble because they're at the temple and they're preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he had all of them, all the apostles were arrested and he put them in prison and it didn't work out for him well. Because he just put them in general prison and they were, and, and God released them. Middle of the night. And so they go to get them out of prison the next morning. They're not there. The report comes back. Herod's terribly embarrassed, doesn't know what happened. And they're over at the temple again, preaching about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. So this may be a backlash of that. 
He said, that's not going to happen again. And so he, he puts him in maximum security kind of prison and, and um, is determined that the, Peter's days and Peter's hours to walk this earth are, are limited. They're, they're numbered. Um, I wonder how that felt like to, to the church. I don't know that it felt like God was moving. It probably felt like, well, if God's moving, he's losing. I don't know if you ever felt that way or dared to have that kind of a thought. But sometimes, you know, that's a real thing. We look around us sometimes, and, and even in the days in which we live, and it seems like darkness is getting darker and light's getting harder to find. It feels like that sometimes. It seems like ungodly things are being applauded and promoted more and more and more, and godly things are being rejected and detested and, and shunned. It seems that violence and immorality and division and hatred, they're just given free reign. Where truth and righteousness and honesty are, are being pushed over into a corner and, and devalued. It, it sounds that way sometimes. So it, it, if we're not careful, it'd be easy to almost say, like, God, where are you? In all this, are, are, you, are you doing anything? God, are, are you moving? Are you aware? Are you active? Are, are, are you doing anything during these kinds of times? We're tempted to question God. God, what are you up to? This, this doesn't make sense. This, this doesn't, doesn't jive with who we believe you to be. You know, we have personal experiences that could even raise those kinds of questions in our hearts. God, why did, why did that guy get promoted and, and I got laid off? I'm a much nicer person than they are. They don't even know you. They don't even like you. And so I don't understand this, this disparity. Why is one person healed but another person is not? Why is it I, I did all the right things? I, I prayed as hard as I could. I believed as hard I, as I could. But, you know, the, the husband or the wife or the friend, they, they left me anyway. They walked out anyhow. God, I, I, I don't get it. God, if, if you're a God who moves, are you moving in my life? Are you moving? And if you're moving, it doesn't look like you're gaining ground. It doesn't look like you're, you're winning. See, sometimes God doesn't make sense. Sometimes when we look at the realities and, and the present situations or circumstances around us, it seems to contradict who we believe God is and know him to be. It seems to contradict what we think life is supposed to be. See, if, if, you're, going to, if you're going to really understand and, and know, and if we're going to lay a foundation for how God moves, there, there's something you got to get comfortable with. you got to get comfortable with the sovereignty of God. you got to get comfortable with the fact that he's bigger than you that he knows more than you, that his thoughts, in fact, are higher than yours, that her, his ways, in fact, there's a, a, a phrase in Scripture that says his ways are past finding out. It means we can catch glimpses, and we understand, and we can grow in revelation of him, but ultimately, he's sovereign, we're not. And sometimes, if we're going to be comfortable with the fact that God moves in our lives, sometimes we have, to be, we have to accept the reason for some things or the answer to our questions is, God knows. Sometimes that has to be a satisfactory answer in and of itself. God knows. I don't understand what's going on. I expected something different to be happening. I hope something changes down in the future. But in the meantime, God knows. And I have to be good with that. Not, not as just a cliche, but that has to settle me. I can find peace in that reality. God knows. 
Because my faith doesn't rely on my circumstances, or shouldn't. We're, walk, we to walk, we're to walk by faith, right? Not by sight. And, and so I have to rest, my faith rests in the character of God, not, not the reality of my circumstance, or the feeling of my circumstance, or the appearance of my circumstance. I have to anchor my faith to something, and if I anchor it to, to uh, my circumstance, or if I anchor it to my understanding of how God moves, because I'm, it's a, still a mystery, I'm always uncovering that. I'm always learning more and more things about God and how he moves. So I need to anchor my faith to something that, that isn't so changeable, or isn't so um, you know, flexible. I need something that doesn't change, and know what doesn't change? God doesn't change. His character doesn't change. So my faith is attached to his character. God, this looks terrible, but here's what I know. I know you're good. I know you love me. I know you're working all things. Even this thing, you're working it together for my good. I don't understand it, and I don't see it yet, but I don't see it yet. Because I know your character, I just keep following. I, I, I just keep believing because I know your character. You're righteous. You're redemptive. You're purposeful. You will use every one of these things in my life for your glory and my good. Because I trust and my faith is anchored to your character, not to what I see in the natural all the time. So we have to lay that foundation if we're really going to understand and be comfortable with the fact that we serve a God who moves. We have to surrender to his sovereignty. Sometimes he moves and sometimes he delivers us from circumstances. Sometimes he delivers us in the circumstance by just giving us the daily strength and grace for the circumstance. Sometimes he, he de delivers us um, through the thing that we actually have to walk through and come out on the other side, but we're better for it. But here's the reality. No matter which way he decides to deliver us, here's the reality. He delivers us. He delivers us because he's a deliverer, and he will always deliver you. No matter what your circumstance is, God will always deliver you in his way, in his time, and you probably may not understand it in the process. That's another point. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Let's get back to our text, okay? We, we, God doesn't always make sense. His moves don't always make sense, or his lack of movement doesn't always make sense. Verse 6, now then Herod was about to bring him out, bring out Peter. On that very night, so the next day must have been the end of Passover, and he was going to bring him out the next, the next day. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two, with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself. Put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Get this. He did not know what was being done by the angel, that it was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them all of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. Point number two. We don't always recognize when God moves. Sometimes how he moves may not seem to make sense to us, but the other reality is that when he does move, we're not always aware of it. We don't always recognize the move of God during the midst of a move of God. Peter is sleeping. He's chained to two soldiers on either side. Doesn't sound comfortable to me. 
The text says an angel of the Lord shows up and hits him, strikes him in the side, shakes him, rattles him up, and, and it says that the angel woke him. Um, I, I actually prefer, prefer the NLT translation. It, it says the angel struck him on the side and awakened him. Um, in, in our setting, woke means something different right now. That, that word has changed, and it's changed um, in, in reality. Webster's Dictionary, just in 2017, added to the dictionary a new definition, an additional definition to the word woke. And it's not a bad thing. It's a very cultural thing right now. And it has to do with becoming more aware and, and more sensitive and even perhaps even active um, in, in different um, social issues, especially, especially in social justice and in, in racial issues and becoming aware of those things. And, and I'm not against that. Um, I don't have a lot of hope for it because it's, it's rooted in just man's construction. It's rooted in just human agency. And it depends on man being able to solve his own problem with each other. And I don't hold out a lot of confidence in that having lasting, long-term, permanent change of heart and change of attitude. But it's the best man can do. So I, I applaud the intentionality of it. I don't know that it's really going to produce the fruit that we hope that it, you know, that it could. Um, I, I do believe this also with all my heart. The church and Christians don't need to be woke. They need to be awakened. You can say amen now. Amen. There's a difference. We don't, we don't need to just become um, intellectually aware. We need, we need a spiritual revival. We need to be awakened to the reality of things that will change who we are. And in changing who we are, they'll come more in line with some of these other issues that we want to solve. We're never going to solve if we just, face the, if we just address the issue because there's a root issue. And the root issue isn't our intellect. The root issue is our heart. And only God can change a heart. Only the Spirit of God. Can, can transform and renew our hearts and our mind. We need to be awakened as the as church of Jesus Christ to who we are in Christ, to our new identity in him, to our place in this earth. We're called to be the body of Christ as he is, so are we in the world today. We're to represent him in, his, in, in this world, to be his hands and his feet and his, and his mouth in this world today. We, we, we need that kind of a, an awakening not just to be aware of circumstances prevalent in our culture and in our society, but we need to know who we are. We need to, uh, an awakening to the reality of what the Bible calls one new man. You know how people can get along if they really become one new man? Because in this one new man, there, there's no division. There's no separation. There, there's no black and white. There's no male and female. There's, no, there's only Christ. Everyone becoming more and more like him. And the closer each of us draw to becoming and are committed to follow hard after him and to become transformed in his image, the closer we get to that, the closer we draw to one another. And all, a lot of these other issues that need solved in our culture start being resolved. And we start loving, genuinely finding love, genuine love for one another. We find common ground on which to agree. We find goals to shoot for that, that everyone is shooting for the same things. But that only happens in Christ. That only happens as people come to know who Jesus is and give themselves to becoming more and more like him.
change of heart is what we need. And then we need this awakening. Now watch how this awakening happens. In verse 7, notice God initiates. He sends an angel who, who awakens um, Peter. The, the presence of the Lord comes to where he is. And a light shines. Wherever God shows up, light shows up. So, and a light shines, and, and Peter's awakened. And as soon as he's awakened, what happens? The chains fall off. He's changed to two soldiers, and immediately, in that moment, the chains fall off. It's a beautiful picture for us. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of what happens to us when we come to Christ, when the light comes on, when he reveals himself to us and we choose to believe that in that moment, uh, this light shines in our soul that we didn't understand before we start now, we understand. There's a faith and a belief that's planted. There's a download that comes to us from heaven that, that just changes how we see life, that, that moment of salvation. And the Bible says that at salvation, we're set free. From the bondage of sin, the chains of sin, the power of sin is broken over our lives in the moment of salvation. In that moment, the chains fell off Peter's arm and the angel says to him, dress yourself, put on shoes, put on your coat and follow me. So there's another picture there of the Christian walk. Salvation, yes, but now also sanctification. We see that God comes and he sets him free. But he says, now, if you're going to know that freedom, if you're going to experience that freedom, you got to follow me. you got to participate in what I'm doing. you got to be a part of the moving that I'm doing in your life. You've got to obey and follow after me. That's the process of sanctification. That's the daily process and journey that every one of us as Christians are engaged in and are a part of. Quite often, when God moves, a part of his requirement is our participation, is our obedience. Quite often it happens. If we look at the nation of Israel, you notice that God didn't teleport the nation of Israel to places he wanted them to be. You notice he didn't teleport them out of Egypt. They had to get together and march out of Egypt. He didn't teleport them across the Red Sea. He opened a path, but then they had to walk the path that he opened for them. He didn't, he, when he wanted them to know how to move, he didn't, just didn't move them to where they didn't wake up in the morning. They were suddenly in a new location. No, what did he do? He had a pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of fire at night that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. He says, when you see it move, you move. And that's the Christian life. To, to learning to be sensitive to the, the movements of God, the, the, the breeze and the winds of God, and go with that. Because the dangerous thing is that, that we can delay, we can even derail God's movement in our own lives just by our slowness in getting dressed. Right? This probably doesn't apply to any of you, but I've had that problem. The angel says you're immediately released, but now... You get dressed. And sometimes it's our slowness to get dressed that delays us being able to really recognize the move of God in our lives. We're told in Scripture that at salvation, from there forward, we're to live a life where we put on Christ. We take off an old man. We put on this new man created after Christ in righteousness and holiness and sanctification. We're to put on Christ. We're to put on a belt of truth breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation, shoes shot, feet shod with the gospel of peace. We're to take up a shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. We're supposed to dress every day. 
Dress for what? So that we can follow Jesus. And it's our slowness to take off old garments and to put on new garments that can delay and derail or keep us from being sensitive to the movements of God in our lives. Now, there's good news. In our weakness, the Bible still has good news. and says that he who began the good work in you, he's not going to give up. He who began the good work in you is going to be faithful to continue to perform that good work all the days of your life. Now, that's a comfort, and it's, and it's a threat at the same time, by the way, because God's going to get it done. He's not going to let you go. And, he, you, you know, you can come hard or you can come easy. It's up to you. But he's going to keep working in your lives. If you have to go around the desert one more time, he's going to keep working in your life. Peter was awake. Notice, he was awake, but not aware. And that happens a lot of times. When God moves in our lives, we're, a lot of times we're, we're not really aware of it in the moment, in the time, in, in, that, in that season. I, I love verse 9. It says that Peter followed the, the angel, but he didn't, he didn't realize that was actually happening. He thought he was dreaming. He, he thought this was just a vision. This was just something that, that you know, was, he was going to wake up at some point in time. And there's the two guards, you know, Mutt and Jeff, and they still chained to them. He didn't, he didn't comprehend that this was really unfolding in, in real time. Um, and th- life is that way sometimes. There's a lot of times in, in my life where I didn't realize God was moving until after the fact that I looked back at it and was like, oh my, I, I, I had no clue. Or I had maybe some kind of idea, but, but I didn't recognize really all that the hand of God was doing in my life. I remember that Marilyn and I, when we started a family, we, we sort of made a decision. We, we want our kids to go through Christian schools. And, and so there was an expense. And, and, then, and then later, there, there, was, there was college and that, the, that the kids had to go through. And, and we walked through that. And every, you know, every month, sent in the check, whatever the check was supposed to be, for all those years. And, and, but it wasn't really, to, and I know God was being faithful, and, and we were thankful during the, during the process, but I really didn't get it, get it, until later I looked back at it. And... and the kids are through their schooling. They're now adults. They're, they're freestanding on their own. And I, looked, thought, I thought about that. And I realized, in fact, I even did some scratching on, on paper. And the math didn't work out. It really didn't work out. And we did some things. We had some little part-time jobs here and there and did some things on the side to make a few extra dollars. But the math didn't work out. But both of my kids went through all those years of Christian, private Christian school, and then college. And when they came out of college, when they graduated and their schooling was done, there was no loan, there was no debt, there was no payment. We owed nobody anything. And I don't know how to explain that to you today, except God was moving. I didn't know it. But I'm looking back at it, and I recognize it's only God. It was only his hand. I I can't come to any other explanation. Sometimes God moves that way in our lives, that miracles are unfolding in our lives. But in the moment, in in the unfolding, we don't always comprehend it fully. We may have some inkling that God is doing something. We may have some some idea that that something's unfolding. Can I tell you something? I keep telling the elders all the time, and that's as far as I can tell you. God has something on his mind for this church. God has something new and fresh on his mind for this church, and there's stirrings, but I don't know what they are yet. They're not solidified yet. 
But I do have some indication or some sensing that, and, and belief that, that God has something in mind that's, that's going to touch all of us. And it's going to require us to, to stand up, to wake up, get dressed, and follow. And it may be in a direction we've not gone, gone before. It may, I, have no, I, don't, I, I shouldn't try to give any parameters because I don't know. Except to say God has something in mind. And we should be excited about that. And we should be praying about that. And we should look forward to that. And we should prepare ourselves as God, because in the right way, in the right time, God will make it clear. He'll make it clear and clear and clear. If you want God to move in your life, every day you got to get dressed and follow him. That was the instruction to Peter. And that's God's instruction to us. Every day you got to get up and you got to, every moment of that day, you got to take the next step of obedience, the next step of righteousness, the next step of faith. Because all of those steps, even if you're not fully aware in the moment, all of those steps are going to lead you to freedom on the other side of the thing. They're going to lead you to a place that you really want to be. Peter's chains fell off immediately. Immediately he was set free, but he had to walk out the experience in real time, step by step. Our lives work that way as well. Our, Our lives unfold that way as well. And Peter had to walk that out in order to get to where he wanted to be, where only God could get him to be. God has a new place for you. God has a new place he wants to take because he's a God of newness. And I don't care if you've walked with him for five years, for five minutes, for 50 years. God always wants to bring us to new places. But there's only one way to get there. And that's by getting dressed every day and obeying following him, following his lead. Whether we understand it in the moment or how it's unfolding or not, follow him, follow him. Number three, my third point, closing point. Um, Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, okay? So now he's aware. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, so it's John Mark, um, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, recognizing Peter's voice, in her this joy arises, right? And she didn't, but she didn't open the gate. And she ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying then, "Uh, it's, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. James is Jesus' brother, one of the leaders Tell to James and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. If, if you want to see God move, you've, you've got to make room for the impossible. That, that's my third point. Get ready to live with the impossible. If you're going to live within the movements of God, you've got to get ready to, to, and make room for the impossible. Peter comes to this moment. He came to himself and he realized, hey, this isn't a dream. This is, this is really happening. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those aha moments 
where suddenly revelation comes and clarity comes. And, and suddenly there's that moment where you're realizing that God has really done this. God has really answered a prayer. God has really responded to, to me in some way. And, and this isn't just wishful thinking anymore. This is, this is real. This is the new normal for my life. This, you, you've been awakened to his, to his goodness, his provision, his healing, his, his touch, his voice he, in some real way. And Peter was just, he comes to this place of, of, of amazement as, as he realizes this, this, is, this is for real. This is the real deal. And he was amazed. And notice he wasn't only amazed at what happened to him, he was equally amazed and thankful of what didn't happen to him. He realizes Herod had plans for me and God ruined those plans. The Jews had expectations and now they're all disappointed. He, he realized not just what happened, but what didn't happen. I, I, I don't know if you've ever taken time to think about things that didn't happen in your life that maybe could have or should have. You ever had those kind of moments? Did you ever make those kinds of lists? Things that didn't happen in your life. First of all, we don't know all of them. I, I believe there's things that didn't happen in my life that God took care of that I wasn't even consciously or knowingly aware of just because he's that good and he's a father who keeps and protects. But there's other things in times in my life I can look back and say, oh, thank God that didn't happen. You know? Where, where you could be today. Maybe even you could look at it and say where you should be today. But you realize things that didn't happen. The direction you didn't go, even though you were headed in that direction. The, the, the people that, that influenced you and you didn't follow the crowd. The things that you were doing, but for some reason you, you're not doing them today. Something else caught your attention or, or hindered you from going too far that way. Is anybody here thankful for what didn't happen in their life? Anybody here thankful that God interrupted you? That God moved and he intervened in your life because things didn't happen. Listen, it wasn't your skill. It wasn't your intellect that changed the narrative of your story. You're here today because God moved in your life. You're here today because God chose, because God acted, because God arranged. He opened doors, closed doors. He did what only he could do. And we're recipients of that wonderful grace and mercy that he expresses to us. The things that didn't happen to us. If you're going to know the move of God and if you're going to move with the move of God, you have to recognize the impossible. And be open to it. You know, it's an, it's an, it was impossible that you were going to be here today. Of your own will and your own volition, going in the direction or the, just making choices in, in and of yourself, just limited to your own desires and your own thinking, your own understanding. The only reason you're here today isn't because you made it possible. You're here today. Your relationship with Jesus today is the fulfillment of something that's impossible. Right? Our salvation's impossible from our perspective. If God didn't move, we're not here. If God didn't move, we have a religion, but that's all we have. But God moved. And we should, from salvation forward, we should anticipate and expect the impossible to be possible. Because impossible doesn't exist in God's vocabulary. There's nothing in God that's impossible. 
that just isn't. And, and we get to participate in that on a, on a daily basis. In, in reality, there's, there's miracles all around that are happening. There's things unfolding all around us. And the church almost missed the impossible. Catch the picture of the text we read. The impossible is standing at the door knocking. And they almost missed it. They missed, they, they, they almost, uh, they, they, through their own denial, through their own delay, through their own slowness, they almost missed embracing and experiencing the, the wonder of the impossible that God had made available. And the same thing can happen in our lives. We serve an impossible God, a God of whom, to whom nothing's impossible. A God of all possibilities. But if we don't guard our response to him and to those moments, if we don't respond in faith and acceptance, how did they respond? Well, first, Rhoda responded emotionally. Okay, she was all excited, but she didn't open the door. She didn't receive Peter. She was glad to hear his voice. But then she just ran away. And sometimes we, we respond to the move of God in our lives just emotionally. And then, you know, a, a couple days later, we wonder, well, gee, what was that all about? Because emotions go away, right? Emotions rise and fall. And they change. And so if we just respond emotionally to the move of God in our lives, it's, it's going to be short-lived. It'll feel great in the moment. But, but it's not going to produce lasting fruit. They responded intellectually. Said you're out of your mind. You're just not thinking right. You're mistaken. You're, you're, this isn't logical. You think it's that, and you're saying it's that, and, and we, we see your enthusiasm, but it can't be that. We limit God to the things we can explain. We limit God to the things that, that um, fit within our ability to understand. And if it's outside of that, then no, nah, that can't be God. God can't really be saying that. God can't really be doing that because if he, I can't understand it. So how, how can I accept it? We respond intellectually and, and a religious response. That, that, oh, it's his angel. See, theology of the day said that um, if people saw people after they supposedly died, it was, it was their spirit. And they were saying, you're just seeing his spirit. That means that Herod has killed Peter. That means Peter's dead because that fit within their theology. That fit within their, doc, their doctrine. That, that fit within their tradition. And a lot of times we, do, we, we work really hard to cram God within our doctrine. To make God fit within the scope of, of who we say he should be. Listen, if God can fit within your definition of him, you don't know God. Your definition will, God will always defy your definition of him. He'll always show himself outside those borders. And, and cause you to stretch and move beyond those borders. That's, that's what the Pharisees did, by the way. Theirs was a religious response to Jesus. The Messiah that they taught about, preached about, believed for, prayed for, was standing in front of them, but it didn't fit their theology and their specific doctrine. And they missed him entirely. They missed him completely. God moves. I, I've got to close this thing. I'm going to ask you to stand. This entire story pivots on one verse. If you are following along in your Bible and you know what you notice, I skipped a verse. Because all of it pivots on this one verse, verse number five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made. 
to God by the church. This whole story rests on this. The, the pivot that many times we need to make in our personal lives and in our corporate life. Many times the pivot missing is that of prayer. We're doing all the other stuff, but we're really not praying, not earnest prayer. Notice he didn't just say prayer. He said earnest prayer. There are times that God does in his sovereignty. He moves without us. There's things God decrees, things he determines, and he moves without us. There's no participation involved from our part. But there are more times when, when God moves because the church prays. There's time where God moves in response to the church praying, which means he wouldn't necessarily move otherwise. Not that he's against acting on behalf of whatever that prayer would be. But, but no one's praying. Doesn't James, James wrote in, in his, his epistle, you have not because why? You don't ask. How do you ask? You pray. That's how we communicate with God. We, we, we pray. You have not simply because you, you don't ask. Jesus told his disciples, hey, there's some things that only come through the avenue of prayer and fasting. There's some things that require this, this pivot be made. 